But as Andrew said, we're in the uh, third of our series of three talks, and the way we came about with the titles for these talks was that we, last year, went out into the local community, to friends, to family, to people who wouldn't usually come to church, and, and asked them, well, why is it that people don't come to church today? And one of the things they said, the third most common answer, was that, well, the church is irrelevant, hypocritical, outdated. And there was a survey done in the Observer newspaper just last Sunday, which 51% of the people asked, 51% of British adults asked, said that they prayed. And of those, 49% said that they thought God heard their prayers. What the other 2% were doing praying, I'm not quite sure. But 49% said they thought God heard their prayers. But clearly, 49% of British adults are not in church this morning. So I guess the church must be doing something wrong. It must be failing to communicate that we actually know the God that people are reaching out to in prayer and that they can know him too. Because as we've seen already today, church is basically simply a word for a gathering of people into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ to therefore in relationship with one another. And of course, because we're normal people, we get relationships wrong. We get loving each other wrong. We get welcoming newcomers wrong. We get a lot wrong. And that's really important that you understand that this morning if you're not a Christian, because one of the, the most common misconceptions people have about Christianity is that it's about being a good person. But in the end, it's not. It's about being a forgiven person. That's why the, the first value statement of our church here is that we are broken people. And so the starting point of becoming a member of this church is to recognize that you're broken. Not that you can fix yourself, but you need someone else to fix you. So what I want to do this morning is to look at an encounter between Jesus, the one who everyone in the church trusts in, and a woman. And she could be actually, could have been a a woman outside McDonald's in Kingston today. She just happens to be a woman in a village in a place called Samaria 2,000 years ago who who comes up to get water from a well. And as we look at Jesus' encounter with this woman, I want to ask you, could you just ask yourself, is this man irrelevant, hypocritical, and outdated? Caroline's going to bring us our reading. It comes from John chapter 4. Thanks, Caroline. Um, John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 to 26. In the Blue Church Bible, I think it's in page 1066. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sitka, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. 
Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so he's God's word. Thanks, Caroline. Now, it seems, doesn't it, if you could keep that passage open, because we're going to look at it together, it seems just like a, a chance encounter between two people in the middle of the day looking for a drink. But right from the start, Jesus is reaching out to this woman. Did you see that down in verse 4? It says, now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. <laughs> Actually, a pious Jew would do anything to avoid going through Samaria. When they traveled from the north to the south, they'd go right around the edge of Samaritan territory because Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. Jews looked down upon Samaritans. They were the, the half-castes to the north, the inbred used-to-be Jews who had perverted the Jewish faith, and you didn't hang out with a Samaritan. Or they share the same forefather in Jacob, but that was about all. You can see what Jews thought of Samaritans by the way the woman replies to Jesus when he asks her for a drink. Do you see that down in verse 9? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She, she could have also said, you're a man and I'm a woman. What are you doing talking to me in public? You're a Pharisee and I'm a woman. What are you doing speaking to me? You see, everything in Jesus' culture meant that he shouldn't associate with this woman. And also, what's she doing there in the middle of the day? I mean, all the other women in the village would have come early in the morning when it was cool or later in the evening to get water. Why is she there in the noonday sun? Is she avoiding the other women? Do they know something about her? Has she been shunned by them? Is she ashamed and trying to hide from them? But Jesus isn't bothered. No, actually, he has come for women, for men, just like her. And so he, he reaches out to her. He, he seeks her out. Look what he says in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, what's he talking about? 
I mean, there's no stream here. It's, it's only a well. And what's this gift of God? You can't blame her for being slightly confused. We were just chatting about drinking. Look what she says in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our forefather Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? I expect there's a a bit of playful attitude in her voice, maybe a wry smile. We're going to see this is a woman who knows the world. She's no idiot. And this this Jewish teacher with his enigmatic living water is clearly up to something here. Living water, living water. I thought you were asking me for a drink, mate. And you ain't got no bucket. What do you mean living water? And and are you greater than Jacob, who was quite happy to feed his family and flocks with water from this well? Are you better than him? Jesus answered, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Within them, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I mean, it sounds fantastic, doesn't it? But but what does Jesus mean? Never thirsting again. Isn't he saying, look, I can give you true satisfaction in life. You won't constantly be craving for more with me. And you see, it's a gift of God, says Jesus. It's not, I can give you a self-help manual or a course on life improvement or a new diet or a pat on the back and try harder. But I can give you a gift from God, which is a fulfilling life. And this ends up in eternal life. I mean, this is, this is big. Perhaps it's too big for this woman to understand. Not only a life that goes on forever, that, that would be a useless life, wouldn't it? Can you imagine eternal life being this life forever? No, this is a life with a God quality about it. It's a life lived in relationship with God that, that starts now and goes through death into eternity. Now, let me ask you, Do you think that you have this, this sort of God quality to your life, a a satisfaction drawn from a relationship given you by God through Jesus, a relationship where you're certain of God's constant love for you in the Lord Jesus Christ? The, the The Rolling Stones famously sang, didn't they, I can't get no satisfaction I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no. I can't get no. It's a song that that sums up so much in our culture. Our thirst to try and quench life, to to be satisfied, to be content. I mean, maybe you're like me. Don't Don't you just long for a day when it felt like life worked? Just one day when you get to the end and go, Life worked today. It worked, really. I was happy with everything in that day. Wouldn't it be great to have one day like that? And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. Of course, it's, it's the thirst that the, the advertising industry is built on. It's the thirst that sends people to work, and then sends them on holiday, and then sends them back to work again. And Jesus says, look, I want to talk to you about something deeper. Something deeper than the next little shop or the next trip to the sun. I want to talk to you about your spiritual need. 
No wonder the woman replies. Do you see what she says in verse 15? Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I think she sees that Jesus is talking about something more than than running water. Please give me this water so that the drudgery of my life, day after day, coming to this well will be over. The the daily grind will end. Now, I guess the problem for most of us is that we just won't admit that life's not working, that it all feels a slog. We sort of insist on pretending, sort of everything's okay. We're not willing to confess our need. Whereas actually, I think if the truth be known, far more of us are very close to despair than we're willing to admit. We often quietly think to ourselves, Oh, I just wish it would all stop. We're hypocrites. We wear a mask and we say, I'm fine. Why, inside we think, I just wish it would all stop. Do you know, that's where the word hypocrite comes from, interestingly. People people accuse the church of being hypocrites, and in in one way we are. The the word hypocrite comes from a word from a Greek word for mask. You see, if you were in a Greek, ancient Greek play, it wasn't like the West End. It wasn't character acting. It wasn't like Robert De Niro who put on and shed weight for whatever part he was playing. No, it's easy. If you're in a Greek play, you got the mask for the part you're playing and you stuck it in front of your face. So I'm the happy man. Bang, I walk around with a happy mask on. I'm the sad man. Bang, I walk around with a sad mask on. That was acting in Greece. Any idiot could do it. A hypocrite. Someone behind a mask. Behending, you're someone you're not. That's what it is to be a hypocrite. And you see, that's the way I think most of us live. Behind a mask. And Jesus wants us to come to him with that burden. He wants us to admit our need to let the mask down. Because, you know, Jesus knows that that fetching water is not really at the heart of this woman's emptiness. If you're not a Christian here, you need to know Jesus will never give you what you ask for if there's something better for you. And here, his love acts like that with this woman. He he takes her at his word. He wants to end her emptiness. So he asks her a question, and it's a question that comes totally out of the blue. Did you see it in verse 16? He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. You can't help but feel for this woman, can you? I mean, it might be that our sexually liberated 21st century culture would say, good on her, so what? I mean, she's just having a great time. That's sexual freedom. I'm just not quite sure that's the way she would have felt about it. See, with each failed relationship, there's, there's more pain. With each new relationship, there's, there's hope again. This, this will be the one. He's, he's Mr. Right. So some would call her naive. Others would call her desperate. I think the one thing we can be certain is that she's broken. See, no one can say this, this woman is irrelevant. You can see thousands of men and women like her in houses all over Chessington, desperately trying to make relationships 
work, to, to fill a hole, a craving, a need in their life, to, to be accepted, to be, to be wanted, to, to be loved. Erin O'Connor, some of you will know, is a six-foot-tall supermodel. Uh, she's been the face of Chanel and Versace, Armani and Gucci. Uh, photographers gush about her imperfect beauty. Uh, the designer, Jean-Paul Gaultier, said of her, she isn't only a model, she is art. Not what you'd expect to find growing up in Walsall in the West Midlands, would you? But, but when Erin was growing up in Walsall, life was a bit different. At school, they thought she looked so weird, they called her Morticia and witch fingers. She says this, Of course, it was difficult with my nose the size of Concord and my feet and my height and my lack of breasts. All the girls around me were petite and getting boobs and bums and boyfriends, and I was just growing out of control. But that all changed aged 15 when she was spotted by a model agency. And then, of course, she says, I was right on, right on the belief that I did want to do it, even if it wasn't really my own belief. It's like, wow, physical acceptance. This is unbelievable. Well, we all long to be accepted, don't we? And if we're not accepted for who we are, well, then we try and become someone else instead with our fake news and our polished Facebook profiles or just our false confidence in public. I'm fine. But Jesus knows. He knows and he he cares enough not to let this woman's problems go unsolved. It's exactly the same with us. You You see, we might be able to deceive our friends about how sorted we are and sometimes our family. Sometimes we even deceive ourselves, but we can never deceive Jesus. I wonder what he would have had to ask you to, to open you up like he opens up this woman. And perhaps you're where she's at. Perhaps it's a, a string of painfully failed relationships. But, but maybe you've just been drinking at other wells, other wells the world has told you will really satisfy. Uh, the broadcaster David Attenborough recently said that age 91, he is terrified of not being able to work. That's what he's got to keep doing, to be the man on the telly who talks to you about animals. And when he can't do that, he doesn't know who he is. What's the well you're drinking at? Could be status in our job. Could could be the security of money. Can can be the, the best home we can have. It could be the happiness of our children. It could be the next experience. Sometimes it's just simply the desire to be in control, isn't it? To be independent, to think, I don't need anyone. Certainly don't need any of that Christian claptrap. And you know what? I guess, like me, you'll know you're thirsty because you've drunk deeply on each of those. But as soon as you've drunk, you quickly start thinking about the next home improvement or the next holiday or the next night out or the next experience. Whatever it is, Jesus says to us, just don't run for cover. I know you. I know you better than you know you. Let me give you a gift of God. Let me give you eternal life. Just stop putting other things where I should be. Stop looking for fulfillment where there is none. No, Jesus cares too much to to paper over this woman's problems. It's that love, isn't it, that puts its finger on the sorest spot of all. It's very personal. But, But that's the way Jesus is. He doesn't want us to pretend. 
He doesn't want us to pretend to, to him or to other, each other that we're the people that, that we think we should be. He, he wants us to see our failure and admit it. He wants us to take off our masks and come to him. Because the Bible's very clear that we failed. We failed to, to live life in, in that one relationship where we are genuinely accepted for who we are, for who we are, not for who we would like to be or who we try to be, for who we are with all the mess and the failure and the regret and the shame. We fail to live life in that one relationship where we are accepted for who we are. The relationship with God. And actually the Bible is a history of God faithfully in love crying out to people, come to me. And people just getting on and living lives themselves. It's what the Bible calls sin. And the question is, will we admit it? Will we just take down the mask? Now what happens next in this encounter is fascinating. It's so typical. I think this woman probably wasn't from Samaria. She was from somewhere in the great British Isles because she can see that she's talking to more than some sort of liberal Jewish traveling preacher. This is a man who knows the secrets of her heart and no one likes talking about the secrets of their heart so she changes the subject like a good British person would do. Do you see that down in verse 19? Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Well, you know, I would believe if there weren't so many denominations. That's sort of what she says, but not quite. Do you know, she's actually asking the question that she really needs an answer to. It's not about water, it's about worship. She says to Jesus, look, I can see you're from God. So should I be worshipping here like a Samaritan? Or are you saying I need to become a Jew and go to Jerusalem? Look what Jesus says. He actually says neither. Verse 21. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming And has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit, in the spirit and in truth. There was a a raging debate between the Jews and Samaritans about who was worshipping God in, in the right place. And Jesus effectively says to her, look, it's not about where you worship God. Oh yeah, the history of God's promises to his people is about a history with the Jewish people. You can read all about it in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. But in the end, it's not about where you worship God. It's about whether you worship him in spirit and in truth. Whether you worship him as your father. That's the God who Jesus is inviting her to know. Who he's inviting you to know. The father who so loves the world that he gave up his one and only son. That's the gift, Jesus says, this woman hasn't seen yet. The gift that God gives us is Jesus, his son. Actually, in the the chapter before this, Jesus is talking, as Andrew referred to, to a religious man called Nicodemus. 
And he says you don't come to follow the Son unless it's by the Spirit. To worship God in the Spirit is to worship through his Son, Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw in John chapter 14, Jesus say famously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, to worship God in the Spirit and in truth is to worship him through his Son, Jesus. Do you see what he's saying to the woman? Having a relationship with God is not about going to the right place. It's about going to the right person. And this woman, she's done her GCSE religious studies. So she replies in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I know that God's promised a rescuing king who will bring us back into relationship with him. He'll teach us. Look, she says, I'll just wait until he turns up. There's no hurry, is there? Verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Don't delay, says Jesus. I'm the one. He actually hints at more than that because literally he says, I am the one speaking to you. Back in the days of the Old Testament, when God rescued his people from Egypt and Moses was appointed leader, M- Moses said, well, what, what am I going to say to your people when they say, who has sent me? And God said, well, you'll tell them my name. Here it is, Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Jesus is making an outrageous claim. He's saying, I am is here. The the Lord of the Bible, the one who gives life, is offering you true life. The the creator is, is in his creation telling you the key to how to know him. God is here offering you himself. It's the most precious gift anyone will offer. It's the most precious gift you'll ever be offered. Because it's the most costly gift. See, it costs Jesus his life. That's that's where John's gospel is heading. By the time we get to chapter 19 and 20, we'll find Jesus dying on a cross. Because it's his death that's needed to deal with the fact that like this woman, we've put anything and everything in the place of God. See, the living water that Jesus offers us here comes at the price of his shedding his own blood in death. For us to enjoy life with God now and relationship with him means that the person of his son had to experience death for us. He he had to go to a cross to take the punishment that we deserve for the way that we have worshipped anything and anything other than him there he he bears our guilt and shame all that we've ever done everything that this woman had done that meant that she went in the noonday sun desperate not to meet anyone to the well knowing she would be on her own because she could not lift her face to look again at their dismissive and judgmental glances as she walked through the village Jesus bears all our guilt and shame The, the things that you are very glad that no one's ever posted on Facebook about you. The things you're very glad that you only know. And that's why, by the way, Christians should never be hypocrites. 
Because we don't have to hide behind a mark of respectability or or claiming that I'm righteous. I, I can say to you today, as the pastor of a church, I am so evil within myself that if I was the only human being on the face of the earth, the Son of God would have to be butchered on a cross so that I could be forgiven. My only righteousness is Christ. Now, what mask do I have to hide behind now? You see, Christians can't be hypocrites because we can pull down our mask and we can only pull the mask down because the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has died to forgive us. And what does Jesus say? Now's the time to turn from your life of emptiness and follow me. That's what this woman does. You can read about it in the rest of John chapter 4. She's so excited about meeting Jesus, she, she runs and tells the rest of her village. But there's no reason to delay coming to Jesus. He comes to you today. Whoever you are, however you feel about yourself, whatever you've done, and he says, let me give you a gift from God. Let me give you true life. Let me give you a relationship that is what you are made for. Let me give you forgiveness at the cost of my death in your place. Let me give you my spirit into your very heart so that you know my love personally and intimately that wells up within you for the rest of your life. But but let's not muck around and pretend, says Jesus. Let's pull down the mask. Will you admit you've made a mess of things? Will you admit that actually your self-love is morally offensive? You see, accepting the, the living water from Jesus is not simply about adding something to your life. We love doing that, don't we? We join the gym, we add it to our life, we take nothing out, and then three months later we realize we've not been for three months after the first week of passionate exercise. It's not just about adding something to your life. No, accepting living water from Jesus is about truly worshipping your Father in heaven through his Son with everything you are. You see, living water from Jesus is a gift from God that costs you nothing, but in the end, it will change everything about you. Are you willing to pull down the mask, to accept the gift, and to worship God with all you have? And actually, that's what I think most of us who are Christians need to realize, isn't it? Because you might have been thinking for the last 20 minutes, wait a second, I've come to Jesus, and frankly, life still feels like a slog. I'm not satisfied with my marriage. I'm not satisfied with my job. I'm not satisfied with my children's behavior or their school progress. I'm not satisfied with my house. And frankly, I was not satisfied with my last holiday. But but do you see what you're doing? I pretty much do this every week. We're looking to other things to give us what only Jesus can. To quench the deep thirst that you and I have. A thirst which is only satisfied when we enjoy the love of our Heavenly Father through His Son by the power of His Spirit within us. A love proclaimed in His Word, the Bible. A love that's experienced actively as I share fellowship with His people. A love that is always relevant. A love that means I don't have to pretend. A love that will never be outdated because it lasts forever. If only I will drink deeply on it. So so where are you today? 
Have you accepted the gift of God that is eternal life from Jesus Christ at the cost of his death? Now, that's why the church isn't irrelevant or outdated and certainly shouldn't be hypocritical. Now, it might be that you, you want to find out more about this person, Jesus. And we're starting a course in February called The World We All Want. We'd love you to think about coming along. You can go to the FYI area afterwards and they'll tell you details of this course. You can come along for the first week, test drive it, see if you like it. And if you do, come back. It's just looking about what the Bible says about this gift. But, but it might be that you're here today and you're thinking, why, why would I want to delay? If God's offering me that, why would I want to delay? And why don't you come to Jesus then? It's as easy as this woman coming to Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a prayer as we close. I suspect it's a prayer that all of us who follow Jesus Christ would want to echo in our own hearts because it's a prayer we need to pray regularly as our eyes are pulled from him. I'm going to read through the prayer out loud first of all because I don't want you to pray anything that you're not familiar with. So have a look at the words. They're going to come on the screen as I read it through. Then we're going to go back to the beginning. And it's simply a prayer saying to God what this passage says. Here's what I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. I admit that I've been looking anywhere else but you for satisfaction in life. I admit that I've been worshipping things that are no God at all. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus offers me living water. Thank you that he died to take the punishment I deserve for the way I've treated you. Thank you that he rose again to give me life. Please now take charge of my life. By your spirit, help me to worship you alone and live life following Jesus. That's what I'm going to pray, just line by line. And if that's something you want to echo in the quietness of your own heart as I pray, uh, you do that. Let's, uh, let's all bow our heads as we pray. Lord God, thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. I admit that I've been looking anywhere else but you for satisfaction in life. I admit that I've been worshipping things that are no God at all. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus offers me living water. Thank you that he died to take the punishment I deserve for the way I've treated you. Thank you that he rose again to give me life. Please now take charge of my life. By your spirit, help me to worship you alone. And live life following Jesus. Amen.